want to welcome Pastor Jonathan Arnold with us. Jonathan is um, an adjunct professor at Israel College of the Bible, and he oversees their online program of training. Um, he has a heart for teaching and for discipleship and evangelism and for the local church as well. And we are just so thankful for you to be able to join us for this weekend, Jonathan, and for bringing us the word before today. Thank you so much. Would you warmly welcome Jonathan, please? Thank you. Good morning. Wow. We have been uh, so blessed uh, the past few days, me and Carlos, uh, spending our time here in Texas. We've been to the States before, uh, but never to Texas. Uh, and I said it in the first meeting, you live up to your uh, name. Uh, Texas has been amazing, and the hospitality has been overwhelming. We're so grateful for Rick and the team and how uh, they've taken care of us. So it's wonderful to be here. We bring you warm greetings from Israel, from our congregations uh, back home, and from Israel College of the Bible, one for Israel, various ministries that we're involved in. Okay, so the theme for this weekend is breaking down the walls. Uh, Rick mentioned briefly, but walls are really things that divide us. Walls can be things that divide us like ethnicity, race, color, language, culture. It's not like we only have walls in Israel between Jews and Arabs. You have walls in the States. We have walls in every church. And when we talk about breaking down those walls, what we're really saying is we want to strive towards unity. We want to bring those dividing walls down so that we can be one just as Jesus prayed that we would be in John 17. This is the real testimony to the world that they would see that we are one that we reflect God in our unity. So I don't know about you, but I often uh, ask myself, what should it really look like? What is true Christian unity all about? What am I looking for when I'm saying I'm trying to bring about unity in my church, my congregation? Does it mean that we all have to think exactly the same? Does it mean we need to agree on everything? Does it mean we all have to belong to the same culture and have the same background, the same language? Or is there room for us to be also different? How does that work? So I'd like to take us to the scriptures, to Romans chapter 15, if you want to go there with me. Romans chapter 15, and I just want to briefly look at how Paul thinks about unity and what he's telling us we could do as we strive towards unity. So Romans chapter 15, we're going to look at verses 5 through 9. I think that it's interesting, we're going to see that Paul is giving us a pattern to follow. As we think how we are to strive towards unity and pursue unity in a Christian fashion, scripturally, he gives us a pattern. So that's what I want to look look at with you. So I'm going to read from verse 5, please follow along. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another, as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, the Jewish people, to show God's truthfulness truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, the fathers, 
And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Now often when we think about the letter to the Romans, I don't know what you've heard, but I've often heard it said that this is Paul's presentation of the gospel. He, he has never met these believers in Rome. He's sending them a letter telling them, look, this is the gospel I'm preaching everywhere. So there's deep theological truths that he's explaining in this letter as he's explaining the gospel that he proclaims everywhere. And that's true. But I think that too often we think about Romans more like a systematic theology textbook. We yank out these theological truths from their context and we don't think about them as if the letter was written to a real church in a real time with living people, flesh and blood people. And when you go through the letter of uh, Romans, try and do something like this. Mark for yourself everywhere that it says Jew or Gentile, Jewish or Gentile. You'll find out that Paul is not trying to just inform them about theology. But he is trying to help this church who is struggling to find unity, to find unity based on the theology he's teaching them. So this letter is, tr- is written to a church of Jews and Gentiles together, trying to figure out what does it mean for us to worship God together in one church? What does it mean to serve God together? Think about it. Jews came from obviously Jewish background. Gentiles came from a pagan background. Different traditions. Different understandings. How are we to worship God together? How are we to serve God together? And Paul talks about theology with the intention of bringing about unity. So every time he teaches them some theological truth, he relates it to Jews and to Gentiles. And every time he ends up in the same place saying, you know what? You're in the same boat. You want to know who is utterly sinful and without hope? Both of you, Jews and Gentiles. You want to know who needs grace in order to be saved? You have the law, you don't have the law. Both of you need grace to be saved. Sanctification, justification, righteousness. Look at all the theological truths that he teaches in Romans. He always, always relates it to Jews and Gentiles. And then he ends up in the same place saying, I'm leveling the ground. You're all the same in this respect. He's trying to teach them theology in order to unite them, not just to inform them. And chapter 14, the chapter preceding this one, is really the clearest where he talks about those, the strong and the weak, and those who think that they should eat this, and those who think, oh no, you shouldn't eat these ki- this kind of food, those who celebrate on one day and those who celebrate on another day. And he's trying to show them, look, these are non-essentials. You can get along together. You need to walk with love and patience with each other. And now we come to the end of the letter, almost the end, in chapter 15. And here he talks again about unity between Jews and Gentiles in the verses we just read. So verses 5 and 6 are really Paul's prayer for unity. Verses 7 through 9 and onwards are really the practice of unity. So we have Paul's prayer for unity and we have the practice of unity. I don't have time to go into the prayer uh, that Paul is praying for them, but we find the same elements in the prayer section and in the practice section. So you see he prays for them to live in harmony, but that harmony has to be in some agreement with Christ. It has to be in accord with Christ. And the end result in verse 6 is that they, us, would glorify God with one voice. The glory of God is the end result. Same elements we're going to see now in the next section of 7 through 9. 
Look at verse 7. Paul gives us the practice of unity. He instructs us, instructs us how we should pursue this. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. When Paul envisions unity within the church, true Christian unity amongst believers, he says, this is what I'm looking at. This is what I'm looking for, is that you should welcome others in a way that imitates Christ, the way that Christ has welcomed you. You need to welcome other people in such a way that is patterned after Christ's work of salvation in your life. Think about how God received you to himself. Welcome one another, receive one another. Same, we could translate that as receive. How did Christ receive you into God's family? How did he save you? This is how you should welcome or receive others around you. This is the pattern that Paul is talking about. So we need to ask ourselves this question. How did Christ receive me or welcome me? Then I could answer, this is the pattern I should follow. So that's what I want to look at. And in verses 8 and 9, what I suggested that we see is that Christ has welcomed us in humility, in diversity, and for God's glory. Christ welcomed us or received us in humility, in diversity, and for God's glory. And that's the pattern that Paul expects us to follow. And let's look at this. Verse 8, For I tell you that Christ became a servant, a diakonos, a deacon. If you're a deacon, you're in good company. Christ became a deacon. He is a diakonos. He is a servant to the circumcised, to the Jewish people, and to the Gentiles. But he became a servant. This is where the pursuit of unity always must begin, with humility. If we are to see walls come down, we must come at it from a position of humility. As long as I hold up my culture and my language and my color and my ethnicity up and I think everybody else is beneath me, no chance for unity. Maybe we'll see uniformity of some kind, but not unity. Not the kind of unity that Paul has in mind. Not the kind of unity that scripture talks about. And... You know, where there is pride, there are always going to be walls. And where there is humility, those walls will come down. And if you at Wayside, you know your walls. I don't know your walls, but I know there are walls because you're human. We're fallen, all of us. We all have to deal with this. So if you want the walls in this church to come down between you, if you want to see more unity, it must begin with humility. You must assume a position like Christ of a servant towards the others around you who are maybe different than you. Just because they express their faith differently than you doesn't mean that they're less than you, that you are better, or vice versa. It just means that it's different. That's all. It's not essentials of the faith that we're talking about. It's expressions of the faith. And it's okay. We're different. So we must assume a position of humility if we are to imitate the pattern we see in Christ. And by the way, this repeats itself in Scripture all the time. We're always told that our example is Christ. Right? Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Philippians 2, you must have the mind of Christ in you. 
And then the whole passage describing Christ emptying himself, humbling himself. And other passages like Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. So you must do it for one another if I did it for you. So we're patterning our behavior after Christ. First, it starts with humility. But secondly, Christ received us in diversity. In diversity. Now look at this, verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, the Jewish people, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. So the Lord's coming to the Jewish people, to his own brethren after the flesh, came in a sense to say, look, God can be trusted. He is faithful. He is trustworthy. He keeps his word. His coming to the Jewish people was anchored in covenant promises. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 tribes, all of the promises that you find in the prophets. Christ's coming to the Jewish people says God is faithful. It declares, it displays that God is faithful. You want to know that God is going to keep the promises that he gave you? Look to Israel. If Christ would have never come to the Jewish people as a servant like he did, as a shepherd gathering the lost sheep of the house of Israel, weeping over Jerusalem, if he would have never done that, how do you know he's going to keep his word to you? But if you want to be encouraged and know that God is faithful and he keeps his word, look to Israel. Because Christ's coming to them was in a sense saying God can be trusted. But look at what it says about the Gentiles in verse 9. It says that he became a servant to the Jewish people to show God's truthfulness. But in order also that the Gentiles might glorify God for what? For his mercy. You see, he became, Christ became a servant to the Jewish people and through them brought salvation to the Gentiles. So it's not based in covenant for the Gentiles. It's based in covenant for the Jewish people. For the Gentiles, it's based or anchored in mercy. Pure, sheer mercy. In Ephesians 2, remember that Paul says to the Gentiles, you were once far away, you were lost without hope, without God in the world. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, from the covenants, from the promises. There is no covenant that you can point to. There is no promise that you can point to that says God had to come and do this. It's not anchored in covenant promises. It's anchored in the pure mercy of God. So in other words, when I stand here as a Jewish person telling you Christ came to my people to save us and he came to me to save me, my declaration to you is that God can be trusted. But if Carlos stands here and he has an amazing story and he tells you the story of how God saved him, his declaration to you is that God is merciful. By mercy he was grafted in to the olive tree, a wild branch. Not because of covenant, not because of promise, because of mercy. So for the Jewish people, it's truthfulness. It's God's covenant keeping. But for Carlos and all of you who are not Jewish, it's mercy. We reflect two different things, two different aspects. Christ received us in diversity. Now, what happens if I tell Carlos, come on, you've got to stop being an Arab you got to start being more Jewish. Now you believe in the Jewish Messiah. You should put a yarmulke on. You should start davening. Come on, you, 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 you really are Jewish. So why are you acting like an Arab? 
And he tells me, look, why are you so Jewish? You now believe in the New Testament. You're really a Christian. So why are you acting so Jewish? You should stop being that Jewish. You see what happens there? I don't allow Carlos to reflect in a unique way what he can reflect, which is God's mercy. And Carlos doesn't allow me to reflect what I can reflect uniquely, which is God's truthfulness or faithfulness. I point to covenant. Carlos points to mercy. Jews and Gentiles. Now this leads us to the last point, that Christ receives us in humility. He receives us in diversity. And he receives us for the glory of God. Think about the glory of God as a diamond that has different facets. And I had to look this up. I didn't know this. Maybe you did. What is important in a diamond? What makes it shine? It's the cut of the diamond. It's the facets that it has. You could have the most brilliant diamond, the most expensive one. But if it's not cut properly, if it doesn't have those facets, the light is not going to break into a million colors. It's not going to be brilliant. It's not going to be beautiful. So think about the glory of God like a diamond that has different facets. And it has a Jewish facets, right? It has Jewish facet that kind of screams out, God is faithful. You can trust him. And it has a Gentile facet. And the Gentile facet screams out, God is merciful. Not because of any promise, but his mercy. Now why would I want to darken that facet of the Gentiles and say, no, don't, we don't want that. We don't want you declaring that because you need to do what I'm doing. We need to declare the same thing. That doesn't make sense. If I do that to Carlos, I'm darkening that facet of the diamond. If he tells me don't be that Jewish, he's darkening that facet of the diamond. We need all facets together in the diamond in order for that light to break through into color and brilliance. And that's the glory of God. And God is more glorified in diversity than he is in uniformity. If you're going to say everybody needs to be the same, it's like taking a diamond and making a cut, one cut all along. What's going to happen? It's going to be boring. No light can break in. There's no colors. There's no brilliance. It's not attractive. How do you want to be a testimony to the world? We need to maintain diversity. Seek unity. Maintain diversity. And I ask you, what reflects better, more accurately, the nature of God? Uniformity or unity that has diversity in it? Think about it, the triune God. Father, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all one, but each one of them unique. Isn't us being united, yet having diversity within, a more accurate reflection of God's nature? Rather than all of us being exactly the same? And what about God's creation? Do you, what do you see in creation? Do you see uniformity? Everything is exactly the same. We have only trees or all the trees are green or we have only water or only mountains. No, we have diversity within creation. Yet it is one creation, one world. So I don't think that there is any doubt that true Christian unity is not something where it's not uniformity, but it is unity with diversity. And that the pattern is this, that Christ has welcomed us in humility, he welcomed us in diversity, and he welcomed us for God's glory. Let me just show you just this one last thing about God's glory. 
Look at these verses. In verse 6, it says that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 7, it says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. In verse 8, he became, Christ became a servant to show God's truthfulness. To show. That's the same thing. It's to declare. It's to reveal. It's to display God's truthfulness. And in verse 9, it says, so that the Gentiles might glorify God. It's the glory of God, the glory of God, the glory of God, again and again. That's the purpose of true Christian unity that has diversity within it. It's not so that we would feel better about ourselves. It's not that people would say, oh, in that church at Wayside, they're really united. It's so that God would be more glorified. God would be more glorified. The world would have a better testimony. It would be more attractive. It would be more authentic. And the world will see it. So I encourage you at Wayside, you know what walls divide you. But each one of you, you could take a step and you could say, I am going to imitate Christ in my pursuit for unity. I am going to become a servant to those who are different than me. And I am not going to try to push them into a mold and say, you need to look exactly like me. I am going to accept them with all of their differences. And I'm going to wait and watch how God is going to be so glorified through it. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for our congregations back home. So I'd like to pray for us for a moment, if you please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word that is truly a light to us. It leads us, it guides us, it gives us examples and pattern, patterns. And the supreme example is in Christ Jesus. And we thank you for the example, Jesus, that we have in you. We thank you that you came and received us unconditionally with your love as we are. Lord, I thank you that there is room for us to be different, yet one in you. And I pray, Lord, that you would work here at Wayside and back in our congregations um, in Israel. That you would help us to pattern our pursuit for unity after you. That we would assume a position of humility. And that we would receive each other in diversity. And that we would do it for God's glory. We thank you. We praise you for what you are going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Wow. And God was glorified this morning in Carlos and Jonathan and their lives and your testimony. What you don't know about Carlos and Jonathan is that Jonathan in August will be finishing up his master's degree and is going to be moving to Haifa where Carlos is. And he's leading a, a, a Jewish Messianic congregation. And God bringing them together here at Wayside Chapel was not just some coincidental um, connection. They've known each other for a long time, but God has been at work in their lives, giving them some new vision and some new ideas for how they might reflect that, ref that diversity and that glory of God at, through those messages that they both bring. And that's, we're looking forward to following that. In fact, after the service, if you're interested, we're going to just gather around them and pray for them as they go back to Israel. <clears throat> Lastly, I just want to encourage you. We've got 
in your bulletins some ways that might be some next steps for you. What is God saying to you this morning? It might have to do with some walls that have crept up in your life with some pride that you need to deal with. It might have to do with how are you being a witness for Christ here, near, and far. And I want to encourage you. There's different ways. You can be praying for people that are engaged in God's work internationally. In fact, one of the ideas here, this first one, is to become a prayer partner for one of the pastors that's going through this master's program at Israel College of the Bible. Carlos is one of those. There's, there's 20 or so other pastors. And I would love for Wayside to say, we want to partner with every single pastor and just walk with them through this year and pray for them on a weekly basis that God would use this experience in an explosive way to bring him glory through Israel. You might want to sign up for that. We can give you some more information. There's, there's ways you can prepare. We're going to be holding a Bridges study that's a six-week course and how to um, begin to extend an, uh, an arm of friendship to Muslims here in town as we get more engaged in reaching out to the Muslims here in our community. Join one of our, our ministry teams that's going out. There's a, a student trip going to Guatemala this summer. There's a, a, a team that's going to Arizona as well that's reaching out to Navajo children. If you're interested in more information about that, please let us know. Sign that up. You can fill out your name and bring it to one of the ushers or back to the Welcome Center afterwards. You may have some other ideas that we would love to hear as well. But I, what I want to encourage is that all of us are part of fulfilling that mandate of Christ, that we would be his witnesses here, near, and far. And our job is to understand and to seek him in ways that each one of us participate in that. Would you stand with us as we close this service with this last song together?